show is brought to you by Gilbert H. Wild and Son, Sun Patience, Arkansas Parks and Tourism, Ralston Family Farms, First Community Bank, and Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. From Moss Mountain Farm in Arkansas, this is the P. Allen Smith Garden Home Podcast that teaches how to grow, cook, decorate, entertain, and sustain in a manner that embraces our collective past and hope for the future. For more information, log on to pallensmith.com. And for a video replay of this podcast, subscribe to P. Allen Smith's YouTube channel and sign up for notifications. Now here's P. Allen Smith. Hello there, American citizens. Welcome to the herbal office. (laughs) Just kidding. We're just having a little fun here answering questions today that you have about your garden from the herbal office. So um, we're going to start with a great question um, about hydrangeas. And this is one that has to do with these wonderful Annabelle or incredible hydrangeas. So Camilla is writing, I have two incredible hydrangeas on the outside of my grouping of Annabelles. And I've noticed the last couple of years, their giant blooms have become more Annabelle size. So just so you know that Incredibles have larger blooms than the old fashioned Annabelle hydrangea. She says, could they have reverted back from a hybridization or something? They all flowered profusely this year, but there seem to be a gazillions, I love that word, of smaller blooms instead of huge blooms that the Incredible is known for. Uh, they are spaced well, so not sure why. Any tips? Well, the thing to keep in mind, I, I don't really know, Camilla, exactly what, what's going on there. But in the winter, what we do is we cut um, those stems down to about six inches. All right. Then what I do is we feed everything in late February, early March, because they start pushing out all of this growth. And every year we've always had these really huge blooms. Now, if I cut the tips or if I get a late freeze and the tips of those uh, new stems freeze, then you'll get a branching that will occur. And the blooms on either side are going to be smaller than that single stem with one big bloom. So that could be what's going on. And the fact that maybe you need to give them some food. Like I say, when they wake up, from a long winter slumber, you want to make sure they have a fortified breakfast to get going for a big long season of flower power. So keep that in mind. It's a very good question. Um, All right, here's one from Detroit, Michigan. Keena Green, hello P. Allen. My husband wants to plant two small trees to make a statement in front of our home. Any suggestions? Thank you. Oh, by the way, we love your show. Thank you, Keena, I appreciate that. Um, want to make a statement. So I don't really have a sense of what direction the house faces, but let's say it's on the cool side, the north side of the house, uh, or just gets eastern light. Um, Japanese maples could be really colorful and beautiful. Some of the taller ones um, with the red colored like blood good. Uh, that one has this really red color like you see here with this oxalis. Uh, so that's a possibility. Uh, you could even do some of the newer uh, versions of the purple leaf plum, if you like that really dark, dark color. Another plant that has this same rich wine color is um, redbud, one called forest pansy. Um, they, they could be fantastic. And I'm thinking of not really large trees. I'm thinking you want a pair of ornamental trees 
in front of your house. So think about those. The, the red bud is going to take full hot sun. So would the purple leaf plum. Uh, the Japanese maples are going to need a little protection from hot afternoon sun. Although that's not as big an issue in Detroit as it is in places down this way or like in Texas where we have a lot of gardeners. You know, from a design standpoint, um, I love I love ornamental trees. Uh, it depends on what you're trying to do. Actually, if your if your house is very close to a street, you have a porch. Uh, you may want to block the view of the street, and so keeping those limbs uh, lower and not legging them up may be something you want to consider. Um, if you have a beautiful view from from the front of your house. Uh, you may want to leg them up so you can look under those limbs and uh, see that landscape beyond. So um, it, it's really a matter of, of how you want to, to uh, see the house from being the viewer walking up to the house and then how you want to experience your view from inside the house. There are other plants you may want to consider that don't get quite as large uh, such as lilacs. Everyone loves lilacs. That would be a, a pair of multi-trunk lilacs. Could be absolutely spectacular. Okay, let's move on to the next plant. This is Jessie May. She lives in Kansas City, Missouri. I've recently bought my first house. Very good. And I'm so excited to plan my flower gardens. What hydrangea would you recommend for my zone? I've never had hydrangeas, but I've always wanted to grow them. Well, Hydrangeas are one of those beloved flowers for many people, Jesse. So let's start with uh, light conditions. Um, if you have a full sun area, one of the things that I would consider in Kansas City, because you can get pretty warm there and the sun can get pretty hot in the summer. I've been there in the summer. Beautiful city. Um, you may want to stick with some of the paniculatas. For instance, uh, there's one called Limelight. We get a lot of questions about Limelight. It is a fantastic full sun hydrangea. Um, it, it can grow, um, I've seen it as, as tall as 10 feet tall, just covered in blooms. So I would put it to the back. Could be a great screen. Now remember it's deciduous, it's gonna lose its leaves, but it has incredible blooms on it. So think about that. There's a, a a smaller version, a dwarfer version of limelight that's called Little Lime. Uh, so if you're looking for something that you might work into the flower garden, Little Lime is a possibility. Um, if you've got a little bit of shade, I think that the uh, Annabelle hydrangeas are very good. Um, we just talked a little bit about Annabelle's. I would recommend those. Um, we use them at the farm along the foundation of the front porch. We've got them on the east and west side. I think the ones on the east side probably do a little better because they're not getting that intense afternoon sun in the summer. So just think about that. Uh, that's a very good uh, bloomer. will probably bloom very well for you in the month of June and early July. Now um, you're probably wanting to grow some of those beautiful mop head hydrangeas, the old fashioned uh, hydrangeas like the old Nico blue, the big round, round ones. Um, those are uh, best given some shade. Uh, they tend to like moisture as the name implies, hydrangea as in hydrant, as in hydra or water. Um, so you're going to want to make sure that there's plenty of, um, 
compost in the soil. It drains well, but also stays moist. Uh, you'll often see these growing on the north side of a house, the cool side of the house, house that doesn't get direct hot sun. So as you think about your hydrangeas, think about the different types and the light requirements, and then think about how you want to use those in your garden as a backdrop. Uh, and I would try to maybe mix some evergreens with those in your flower garden so that you're not going to just have bare twigs in the winter, uh, but you're actually going to have a, a mixture of, of evergreen plants and these big gorgeous bloomers that are going to bloom for you in the summer. Very good question, Jesse, and congratulations on your, your new house and thanks for watching. All right, so here's another hydrangea question. Uh, this is from Alicia in Michigan. She is asking about the limelight hydrangea. I had a limelight tree planted last year, so that would be a single trunk limelight, not a multi-trunk, I'm guessing. Uh, so far, I'm not seeing any buds this year. Uh, what should I feed them and when? Well, this is uh, now that we're in summer, Alicia, if you're not seeing any buds on them, um, then that's not a good sign. Uh, but I'm going to assume for a minute that uh, your question came in uh, fairly early in the spring. What we do is we try to feed them as they wake up. So we have food there uh, for them. In your case, you're in Michigan. Uh, if you had, the, had, had fertilizer around them by March, uh, 1st of April, you should be fine. Water it in. You want that fortified breakfast for them when they wake up. Um, you really don't shouldn't have to feed them again. You might want to give them another round of fertilizer in, in late summer so that they store a lot of nutrient uh, and, and will be ready to blow out the flowers for you the next spring. Just make sure that the tree was planted in, in relatively full sun, at least six hours of sun for the limelight to do well and make sure it's not sitting in water. I'm a little concerned that you don't see any buds on it yet. That's not, not good. Um, they don't like to be planted uh, where, the, where it might sit in water, and you also don't want to plant those hydrangea trees too deeply, okay, because they, that, that'll be a reason why they might, might die. But good luck on that. That's a great plant, and you should enjoy it very much. Okay, so uh, here's a question on do, do hydrangeas, lots of questions on hydrangeas. Do, hi, do, do hydrangea microphylla do well in shade or partial shade or full sun? Again, this is that mop head hydrangea, the classic hydrangea they're asking about. Hydrangea macrophylla, that means big leaf. The idea here, they're asking shade, partial shade or sun. We have them planted on the north side of the house and they do beautifully. You have seen pictures at Moss Mountain Farm of how we grow them in big plastic containers, believe it or not, meant to look like terracotta. And they have gone down to six degrees and have come through the winter very well. And they get filtered light. That is a sort of a, that woodland area is a, is a canopy that I'm trying to create of what we call high shade. So there is some light that comes through. You do not want to plant hydrangea macrophylla in full sun. Um, you don't indicate where you're from with this question, so it's a little hard to say, but if you're in the south, 
They may do fine in the full sun in the north, but in the in the south they'll cook. So be careful with that. Okay, here's one last hydrangea question from Michael in Knoxville, Tennessee. I love hydrangeas. Big club of hydrangea lovers out there, as you can see. But mine all died. That is not good. Could you tell me a good variety to choose and for my area and what kind of soil to use? Um, well, again, if we're going back to the big uh, mop head hydrangeas, um, old Nico Blue is hard to beat. Um, I grew up in Middle Tennessee, and my uh, grandmother had some hydrangeas on the north side of the house, and they did very well. You want to make sure the soil drains well, Michael. Um, if you're if if there's water standing there, they're going to rot. They're not going to thrive. Uh, you want a soil that has a lot of compost worked into it. Uh, they don't do as well in heavy clay because that heavy clay tends to hold moisture, um, uh, too much moisture. So I think working in a lot of compost in there is probably going to serve you very well. Okay, let's answer some questions about pests. Those are always challenging. This is Catherine Short. She says, I have knockout roses planted. I need to know what I can use to keep those mites from eating my rose leaves and killing them. I lost two this past year. Um, well, one of the things that we use, we're, we, we are organic, and so I don't like using hard chemicals, Catherine, as you probably know. Um, what I would do is use um, probably neem oil um, on the mites and spray them. I'm a little concerned that you've lost plants from mites on the leaves. Uh, I hope that you don't have rose rosette, uh, which is you'll see the foliage of these plants uh, turn red and uh, the stems are very close together, very thick, almost like a witch's broom as it's called. Um, if that's the case, they are, will kill your plants and it's a mite that carries a virus that will kill the roses. This is what's happening. And so if you, if you have this going on in your garden, you need to get rid of any of those rose bushes that are showing signs of rose rosette. Um, uh, because what happens is the mite jumps from one plant to the next. Uh, the mite carries the virus. The mite begins to uh, feed on the leaves uh, by sucking the uh, sap or juice out of the leaves and infects the plant. Uh, there's no cure for it and it eventually dies. So use, you do want to get rid of that mite. So you've got the right idea and use neem oil. Uh, we spray our plants down uh, in the winter when we, after we cut them in February, uh, we take all of that, all those cuttings and we burn them. Uh, or I'd recommend you putting them in some kind of dumpster because the mites like to live in the uh, very tips of the stems through the winter. And then we spray them with a dormant oil, which suffocates the, the mites or the pupa or eggs and that sort of thing, and also fungal spores and that sort of thing that can become a malady on the, on the plant. I hope that helps, Catherine, and I hope you don't have rose rosette because... That is, uh, you may have to get rid of a lot of roses if that's the case. All right, here's Sandy W. Um, not sure where Sandy's from, but she says she loves hosta. Um, but I would like to know what eats on the leaves. 
can't see anything visible, but something eats on them occasionally. Hmm. Well, deer love them, but I don't think you have a deer problem. My guess is that you have slugs. Um, they're going to come out at night when you're in bed asleep, and they're going to munch on your hostas. And so there are several ways to deal with slugs. You can put out a slug bait around them. Uh, you can use diatomaceous earth and pour that around your hostas. Um, the slugs cross over the diatomaceous earth and actually cuts them up and they die. You can do beer traps where you take a cup with some beer um, and put them around the hosta and the slugs will be attracted to the, the aroma of the yeast. They'll fall in and and drown and die a blissful death, those slugs, in pure beer. Um, but I think you probably have a, a slug issue. So I hope you get that all worked out. Okay, so here's a question. I've planted a lot of pollinator flowers, um, and today I found lots of Japanese beetles. My knee-jerk reaction is to spray a hard chemical. What can I use to destroy the beetles that won't harm the pollinators? And I won't be picking those nasty bugs off by hand. Well, this is from Jacqueline C. We're not sure where she's from, but it doesn't matter. Japanese beetles are horrible. Um, I don't like, yeah, you can't, you can't use an insecticide uh, on them, a hard insecticide. Jacqueline, the best way, I think, to deal with Japanese beetle, uh, besides picking them off um, and, you know, putting them in a cup of water and, drowning them, um, and I know you don't want to do that, but is to use milky spore. And this is a spore that you will spread um, with a powder on the ground in your garden. And it creates a uh, mycelia or fungal mat in, underground in the, in the soil. And the grubs of the Japanese beetle will eat this and it will kill them. And so they they die a quiet death underground, having eaten the spores from milky spore, the mycelia from milky spore. So I recommend that you inoculate your garden soil with milky spore. Uh, you can find it online. They'll ship it to you in bags. It comes dry, and you can spread this on the ground, and it'll soak in with a rain or a good, good sprinkling of water. And we found this to be very effective and one of the safest ways to not kill your pollinators. Very good question. Very good question. Now, here's a question I get a lot. How do you deal with deer? What are some deer-resistant plants? Well, in previous episodes, we've talked about some of these wonderful perennials. Uh, for instance, the hyssop has a, a slightly licorice flavor to it. Deer don't seem to like them. The purple coneflower, they don't like um, also Russian sage, another perennial you can plant. Um, uh, they also don't like daffodils. We've planted over 470,000 daffodils at Moss Mountain Farm. Hope you'll come see them in bloom in March, but the deer will not eat them. Um, and, now, tulips are a different story. In the spring, the tulips bloom and the deer will, will definitely eat those, but we found that the the daffodils are absolutely um, resistant to deer munching on them. So uh, add a lot of daffodils this fall. Before you know it, it'll be time to plant bulbs. Okay, one last question here that has to do with water. Here we are in summer, and uh, watering is a big, big question. Um, 
So Jane is asking, what can I do for my containers? Uh, I have to travel a lot and I come home and I'm distressed by what I see. Um, first of all, Jane, it's important that you uh, place containers uh, in a saucer um, and that, that will cut your watering in half if you'll make sure there's a saucer under the container. There are self-watering containers that you can look at um, that, that, that you actually fill up the side of the water and uh, through various mechanisms, these, uh, the plants receive the water they need. You can also use uh, in your soil mix, you wanna make sure that it's a, a good potting soil, but you can find some that has a water retentive polymer in it, which will give you probably three or four days, depends on how hot it is, of extra time before you have to rewater or add moisture to the soil. These little uh, granules will expand with water and uh, they retain the, the, the water in these little gelatinous masses and the feeder roots of the plants attach to them and take the water up. So that's another way to extend that watering period. Jane, the most successful way to deal with, with containers and making sure that they're watered properly is go for a large container so you have a, a, a lot of soil volume and I've helped friends with this problem, and, and that is to use a drip system. Uh, they're, they're very simple to install. You can kind of hide the little feeder uh, tube that goes into the, um, into the container, and it will just drip uh, moisture into the, into the, onto the soil and feed the plants. And I would recommend that you look into that. Um, and you can put it on a timer. It can be right on your spigot on the side of your house. You can get it up with a hose, very easy to do. And you won't believe the difference it will make. You're so right, you do come back and you find these, these plants have dehydrated and it takes such a long time for them to come back. Um, that's one of the reasons I like sun patients so much is because the sun patients, um, if they do collapse due to the lack of water, uh, rehydrating them very quickly after they've collapsed, they'll spring back. So I love them for that level of flower power and ease of care. Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you for sending your questions. I try to answer as many as I can each week. Keep them coming. Uh, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. And um, hey, if you like what you see, ring the bell. We'll send you notifications when we're posting new content up. And we hope you'll come see us at Moss Mountain Farm very soon. Today's show is brought to you by Gilbert H. Wild & Son, Sun Patience, Arkansas Parks and Tourism, Ralston Family Farms, First Community Bank, and Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. For more information, log on to pallensmith.com. And for a video replay of this podcast, subscribe to P. Allen Smith's YouTube channel and sign up for notifications.